we've been talking about wisdom, the most important thing for the last uh, few weeks. And we're kind of still in that area a little bit, but it, it changes just a wee bit as well. And I want to talk to you this morning about living above ordinary. And you go, oh, really? How do you do that? And it's about solitude. And you can go, ah, oh, this is going to be some boring lesson. It's going to be everything but that. I promise you that. See, lots of people don't know what solitude is. And they don't understand how this changes things and changes your life and changes your circumstances and changes the, the atmosphere in, in which you live. So I believe that God's going to minister life and uh, help us to grasp hold of some truths that are, are forever life-changing. Well, let me start this morning in Psalms 46, verse 1. And, and this psalm was written during turbulent times in Israel. And listen to what it says here in Psalms 46, verse 1. It says, God is our refuge. Kind of like a, a fortress, a, a tower, a, a castle, if you would. God is our refuge and strength. Sometimes ready to help us. Oh, he's not sometimes ready. He's always ready to help us. In times of trouble, always. Unlike the political arena, I don't know, in the last few weeks you've probably seen our politicians couldn't see the eye, eye on anything, so they said they're going to shut down the government, you know, they're not going to pay our military, close more state parks and services, la-di-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So if you could uh, make an appeal to them, and they're not ready, always. Now, I'm not criticizing them. You know, they're human, so I understand they're jockeying to get their way and, and all and so forth. But God says, God is our refuge and our strength always ready to help in times of trouble. Did you have any trouble in 2017? Yeah. Have we got far enough into 2018 to have any more trouble? Yes. He said he's always ready to help in times of trouble. To help you. Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. He says he's our refuge. He's our strength. Always ready, ever present to help us when we need it the most. That's what he promises to do for us. And he goes on to say in verse 2, So we will not fear when earthquakes come. Heard anything about earthquakes? There's been a few earthquakes popping up around uh, our nation around the edges and here and there. And he says here, so we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Hmm. He's there for us. And then listen to what he says in uh, verse 10. Now, I would encourage you for the day is over, read the whole chapter. But Psalms 46, verse 10, listen to what he says. After he's talking about all this stuff that's going on, he says, be still. And know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. You see now, God will be your refuge and God will be your strength. But only if you stop long enough to listen. <laughs> only if you stop long enough to, to let him speak to us. Is it possible that God is speaking to us but we're just too busy to hear it? 
Very possible. Very possible. Now, let me read this verse here out of the message, Bob. I really like it. This powerful. It kind of opens our heart and our mind to grasp what he's saying when he says, be still. Listen how the message Bible says it. He says, step out of the traffic. You ever been in traffic? You ever been in rush hour? You know, it normally takes you 20, 25 minutes to get home, and now it's taking you an hour and 25 minutes or longer. And you're hurrying up and you're stopping. And, you're, and, you're, and there's an accident there because somebody wasn't paying. And, and somebody's trying to cut you off. Somebody's trying to get from over there to get, get off the exit. Somebody's trying to get on the exit to get over there. And you're just doing all this. And you're stressed out and your heart's ticking a lot faster than it should. <laughs> there ever been something like that? <laughs> Some people every day. But he says, listen to what he says. Psalms 46.10 in the Message Bible. Step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Step out of the traffic, be still, and know that I am God. Step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at me. That's what God's telling us to do. He's challenging us to do this, and I am telling you, this is the kind of stuff that changes a man or a woman's life. If we can be still and know that he is God, take that long, loving look at Almighty God, who is high above every other thing. Things that go right. Things that definitely go better when we get still before God. We get out of the hustle and the bustle and the, the rat race and we just take a look at God, get our eyes upon Him. That's what He's saying here. And then in verse 10, you know, Psalms 46, verse 10, later on, it says, I will be honored by every nation uh, let me ask you have you ever heard of the musical composition that's titled the 433 if you have just raise your hand have you ever heard of that it, yeah. would you like me to play you a little piece of it you know what I want y'all to do regardless of what happens or what don't or whatever I want someone to I, I'm only gonna I'm only gonna play about 30 seconds of this because we don't really have time to do everything there so would somebody become my time person you can count to 30 or look at your watch 30 seconds so what I'd like to do may get some light over here it's hard to see it last night uh, the music that's here I mean if we don't get a no light over here that's all I tell you you know thank you Lord okay Where's my timekeeper? Is our time up? Wait a minute. No. You're saying, Pastor Ron. Let me tell you something. A tuxedoed man 
comes on stage, sits at a grand piano. He opens the lid, occasionally turns some sheet music, but he sits as quietly as possible for 4 minutes and 33 seconds. Then he rises, takes a bow, and leaves. And that's it. And we think, this is a joke. That was absolutely a waste of time. It is an officially called Composition 433. He just wasted four minutes and 33 seconds of our life, we think. But I wonder how beneficial it may have been if we had the right attitude. When's the last time you had almost five minutes total silence? I wonder if it could possibly benefit us in any way in this hustle and bustle and noisy world in which we live. Think about it for just a moment. Thomas Saz said, Man cannot long survive without air or without water or without sleep. Next in importance, he cannot survive long without food. He's close behind food. Man cannot survive long without solitude. We go, what is solitude? What, what, what is this all talking about? Well, going back to Psalms 46, looking with me to verse 11, <coughs> it says, The Lord's heaven, <coughs> the Lord of heaven's armies, is here among us although many of us are completely unaware that he's here. He's present. Whether you are aware of his presence or not. Do you know how to become more aware of God's presence? Acknowledge his presence. Father, I acknowledge your presence with me right now. You say, you never leave me or forsake me. Periodically, when you acknowledge someone's presence, you become keenly aware. But if you completely ignore them all the time, we're, you know, at a loss to know that he, anybody is here with us. It says, the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Did you know that <clears throat> solitude it enables us to deal with stress. I don't know. Y anyone here ever deal with stress? Yeah. Okay. It's very stressful to raise your hand in public. I understand that. <clears throat> Charles Swindle said, it's in solitude that God delivers to us his best thoughts. And our minds need to be still and quiet to receive those thoughts. He's trying to get to us. Hmm. Someone has said that three words can summarize how most of us spend our lives hurrying, worrying, and scurrying. Hmm. But God said, be still. Stop your hurrying around and worrying and scurrying. He tells us to be still. Brother John entered the monastery of silence. And the head priest said, Brother, this is a silent monastery, and you are welcome here as long as you like. But you may not speak until I direct you to do so. 
Brother John lived in the monastery for five years before the head priest said to him, Brother John, you have been here for five years now. You may speak two words. Brother John said, bed hard. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that the head priest said, we will get you a better bed. After another five years, Brother John was called by the head priest again. You may say another two words, Brother John. Food, cold, said Brother John. And the head priest assured him that the food would be better in the future. And on his 15th anniversary at the monastery, another five years had passed, you see, and the chief priest again called Brother John into his office. Two words you may say today. I quit, said Brother John. It's probably best, said the head priest. You've done nothing but complain since you got here. <laughs> well, that's not quite what I'm referring to when I'm talking about solitude. That's not really what I'm talking about. John uh, Orthberg said, Every character of great spiritual development in the Bible is marked by solitude. Men and women, people who had great spiritual development, they accomplished great things for God. They were people of solitude. Uh, forgot my bag. Hold on. Oh, we're not talking about loneliness. We're talking about solitude. Did you know there's a difference? Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. You know, solitude is a state of mind and a state of heart, you see. As you look at my two cups up here, you know, they're identical, are they not? You know? Good. This is the coffee that the guys in the coffee ministry make for us. <clears throat> Loneliness is an inner emptiness. Solitude is an inner fulfillment. They are majorly different. But to the observer, they're looking and going, hey, that person's lonely. When in reality, they may be experiencing solitude that they are enriched and they're fulfilled. To the casual observer looking from the outside, they look identical, they look the same. But it is the furthest thing from being the same. That's just the truth of it. 
One is an inner emptiness. One is an inner fulfillment. That's what we're talking about. And I'm going to tell you something. Solitude, it brings about transformation. Solitude will bring about change in your life, in your family's life, in your community's life, in the place where you work. Solitude brings about transformation. There's this fulfillment. There's this connection to the one who changes things. Edward Gibbon said, Conversation enriches the understanding, but solitude is a school of genius. Charles Cotton said, Solitude is the soul's best friend. Hmm. Solitude makes us tougher toward ourselves and tender toward others. And in both ways, it improves our character. Solitude molds self-righteous people into gentle and caring and forgiving people who are deeply convinced of their own sinfulness and so fully aware of God's even greater mercy that their life itself becomes a ministry. And such a ministry, there is hardly any difference left between doing and being. When we are filled with God's merciful presence, we can do nothing other than minister. And the word minister means serve. A minister is a servant. Because our whole being witnesses to the light that has come into our darkness. Solitude transforms us. It changes us. Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. There is no solitude. You really can't live a very spiritual life. Listen to what it says in the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit to go out into the wilderness, a, a desert place, mountainousy desert place, a, a place of solitude. And Jesus went into this place of solitude alone. By himself. Psalms 55 verse 6. It says, Oh, how I wish I had wings like a dove. And then I would fly away and rest. I'd step out of the traffic. If I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and I would rest. And I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. Going back to where we were just now reading, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it said, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit to go out into the wilderness. Picking up in verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned from the wilderness, from this place of solitude. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. He returned. Because of solitude. Transformation takes place with solitude. Transformation for you takes place when you engage solitude. Loneliness and solitude are completely different. They're separate. They're different things. Loneliness is talking about defeat. Solitude is talking about victory. Jesus came back. Out of his solitude, powerful, 
transformation. Change had taken place. Now, language has created the word loneliness. Now, loneliness expresses the pain of being alone. Loneliness expresses the pain of being alone, while the word solitude expresses the glory of being alone. There is a difference. The pain of being alone and empty. The glory of being alone and, and fulfilled. There's a difference. Well, what's the difference? Well, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Now, I'm going to just ask you, is it, is it a pain or is it a glory for you to be alone? Think about it for just a moment. Shakespeare and Leonardo da Vinci, Benjamin Franklin and Abraham Lincoln were not afraid of being alone. They knew that was when the creative mood in them would work best. Oh, there's victory there. There's fulfillment there. The creativity is, is unleashed in that place. Over here, it's just empty. It's painful. Just being alone. Loneliness. Big difference between the three. There's three qualities vital to success. Toil, which just means work, solitude, and prayer. Toil, solitude, and prayer. These are the qualities that are vital for success in your life in any, in any realm. Toil, solitude, and prayer. You cannot become or remain creative without solitude. You come up empty. In the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 23, it says, Afterward, talking about Jesus, he went up into the hills, the, the mountains there. Afterwards, Jesus went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there, how? Alone. Night came upon him while he was there alone. Hmm. See, loneliness is being unaware that God is with you. We're lonely because we are unaware that God is genuinely in a reality, in a real way. John chapter 16, verse 32 says, But the time is coming. In fact, it is already here when you will be scattered. This is Jesus talking. Each one going his own way, leaving me alone. This is what Jesus, y'all be scattered, leaving me alone. Yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. He was keenly aware. It was a reality that the Father was with Jesus. The reason there's so much shallow living and chatter and talk but little obedience is that so few people are prepared to be like that pine on the hilltop, alone in the wind of God. To be alone, that's what I'm talking about. To be alone. The soul that's been enriched by communion with God will not be disappointed by isolation, but will welcome solitude. He will seek not the crowd, but the closet. And emerging from the closet will never walk alone for he has unseen companionship. There's a difference between solitude and loneliness. 
although on the outside they look pretty much the same. Matthew chapter 15 verse 29 says, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and he climbed a, he climbed a hill. There's a small mountain there. And he sat down. Jesus was up on the top of the mountain and he sat down. There's solitude. There's communion with his Father like that lonely pine tree up on top of the mountain. And then it goes on to say, after he had that solitude on the mountain there, and it says in verse 30, a vast crowd brought him up the mountain to him. A vast crowd brought him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others with physical difficulties, and they laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all because of solitude. He had stepped out of the traffic, and he had a long, loving look at his father and communion with his father. And when all these needs was presented to him, he healed them all. Verse 31 says, the crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The cripple were made well. The lame were walking around. And those who had been blind could see again. And they praised the God of Israel. Transformation took place because of solitude. Luke chapter 22, verse 41, it says, He, Jesus, now he's up there in the garden with his disciples. And this is right before he went to the cross. And it says here, he walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. Oh, there's a time to get together with others and pray. But he said, hey, you guys, y'all sit here and you pray. Don't fall asleep. Pray. And then Jesus went over a stone's throw and a he could probably throw a stone a long way, you know. But he got out of their earshot. D do you know that when you get alone and you know ain't nobody around, you pray different than when you know somebody's listening? Ain't that true? You don't want them to know your business, do you? No. And Jesus, it says, he walked away by a stone's throw and knelt down and he prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. I don't have to go through this. Please take this cup of, uh, cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will. Let's do it your way, not mine. And then verse 43 says, And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. This happened in solitude. And when you and I, you know, we step out of the, the traffic and have time alone with God, the ministering angel to strengthen us will be there. Supernatural strength shows up to the man or the woman who's in solitude. And then it says in Isaiah 30, verse 15, and quietness and confidence is your strength. We've developed a phobia. You know what phobia means? Fear. We've developed a phobia of being alone. We're afraid to be alone. We prefer the most trivial, obnoxious company. The most meaningless activity compared to being alone with ourselves. We seem to be frightened at the prospect of facing ourselves. We're afraid to do that. Thomas Merton said, 
those who love God should attempt to preserve or create an atmosphere in which God can be found. Christians should have um, quiet, peaceful homes. You ever heard of a quiet time? Most Christians are encouraged that you begin to follow Christ and you have a quiet time, learning to be still and know that he is God. But we should have a quiet home. And there's so much that fights against that in our homes. All the forms of technology, we got computers and radios and televisions and we got cell phones, Lord have mercy. Charles Swindle said, I cannot be the man I should be without times of quietness. Stillness is an essential part of our growing deeper as we grow older. How many of you are growing older? Almost everybody here. But we, we want to grow deeper in our relationship with God, don't we? First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, This should be your ambition, to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. To live a quiet life, it says. But, but how can we do this? It seems like we can't find time for solitude, right? It seems that way. I mean, you're right, we can't find time for solitude. Let me ask you something. Do you find time to eat? When's the last time you guys ate? Last night? But when's going to be the next time you eat? As soon as you let me out of this room, right? What if you don't have time to eat? You make time. Is that right? If it's important to you, you make time. What about a, a TV program or a movie that you just been wanting so bad to see, but you don't really have time to watch it? Do you make time? You make time to see it. You want to listen to a little bit of music of, of your choice? You, know, you want to have a friend over, but you just don't have time. You make time for what's important for you. You make time. You make time. You make time for what's important. And I'm going to tell you, if you make time for solitude, it'll transform your life. It'll change you. It, it, it becomes victorious. Transforming power flows there. You, you, you've heard of John and Charles Wesley. You know what their mom's name was? Susanna. You know how many kids she had, including Charles and and uh, John, she had 18 kids. And they had small houses, you know. But she understood solitude. And every day, she had, over in the corner, she had a little chair that she would go sit in. Now, she wears an apron because she's always, if you got 18 kids, you're always in the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? But there came a time, and she had about an hour every day. And when Mama sat down in that little chair over in the corner, a little rocking chair, and then she took her apron and she flung it up over top of her head. And Lord have mercy on the soul who interrupts mama when she's in her moments of solitude with God. And here's a woman with 18 children, but she still made time for God. And I believe it was uh, Martin Luther who said, I had so much to do today, I don't believe I'd have ever got it done if I hadn't spent five hours with God. You go, what? Have you ever thought that 
There's some days if you'd have stayed in bed all day, you would have been further ahead at the end of the day because you made some bad choices. What if God directed us on everything we did and warned us of everything we shouldn't do? Would we be ahead? And if everything you touched, it prospered? Absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know. Now, when Susan and I were in Bible school, and it was a phenomenal time. We got married. A month later, we were in Bible school together, you know. And uh, we were part of a TV program. And what it was, they had a TV program. It was called Good Morning Jesus. It came on 6 o'clock every morning. And uh, we had volunteered. They asked for some help, and we volunteered that we would be counselors. And we would go there, and they had this little telephone bank there, and when they would do their music and, and do their little lesson and things like that, people would call in for prayer and all. And we was there every morning. And, and then we had school after that. And then I had a part-time job after that. And then I came home. And if I couldn't persuade Susan to do my homework, I had to do my own homework, you know. <laughs> she might have helped me just a little bit, you know. But the thing was is to get up an hour early, to spend an hour praying before we went down to the TV station, then before we went to school. Then before, you know, it, it was just a busy, busy, busy time. So God gave me wisdom really did and what I did I started getting up in the morning at three o'clock in the morning I was just tricking my brain see I couldn't get up an hour early but I could get up at three o'clock in the morning we lived in an old residential area in the south big old homes and they had all the great big trees and they had all this big canopy of uh, trees limbs and all over the the roads there in that old community and I'd get up at three o'clock in the morning fur shorts you know sewing a t-shirt or something and I would walk through that whole community for an hour, and I would pray. I'd get back home. I'd go to bed. Get back home at 4 o'clock. I had an hour and a half to sleep. So my body, I, I tricked it, you know. Couldn't get up an hour early and just have to go through the rest of the day. I made time. That's what I'm telling you. I made time. I figured out a way to make time. And you know what? You can make time. I don't care how busy you are. Anybody here have 18 children? If you want it, you can make time for such things as that. Now, you know what? I've been going up on my mountain up behind my house. You know, it rises about 450 foot up right behind our house to this big old cliff. And I was out there last couple of nights. I was out there last night. I was out there praying for you. You are welcome. And why... I was there. You think the devil would like to discourage you from doing such a thing? Well, I'm there and I'm praying and all, and I hear something moving behind me. And we see bears quite often in our area, and I've seen mountain lion tracks and all. And, and uh, you think the devil would like to distract me from praying? Make me fearful so I wouldn't? He would try. But I'm just thinking, like, this will be awesome. I'm going to have this awesome testimony. I'm going to have this beautiful lion, mountain lion skin rug up here where I'll stand on when I preach. <laughs> Bring him on, you know. The enemy of our soul would try to stop us because I can tell you and I can promise you there is a million reasons why you cannot have solitude. There's a million of them. But you make time for what's important to you. That's what you do. Calvin Miller, he said, 
Shall we not shut the door against earthly noise and find that once the noise is gone, God will roar? It's the silent communion of the closet that best declares his reality. You know, if you're going to take solitude seriously, we're going to have to deal with this continual noise. Computers and cell phones and TVs and radios and sometimes just friends and, and family. If, if you really want to get serious with solitude that I promise will change your life in ways beyond anything you could ever imagine or dream, you're going to have to take it seriously and make time to step out of the traffic to look long and lovingly at Almighty God. But you will never regret what sacrifice you have to make to have time with God. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20 it says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little weird. Is that okay? Pastor Ron, we come to this church, you're weird, you know, already. So we're game for that, right? It's actually on your uh, weekly challenge. I already put it there. And it just simply says, I com- and say, I'm taking a big risk at this. It says, I commit myself this week to become under-committed. I did not say uncommitted. I said under-committed. Have you ever been overcommitted financially? You got more commitment than you got paycheck? Is being overcommitted good for you? No, it's not. So what I'm challenging you to do is to get your calendar out, and I want you to make plenty of blank places in your calendar where you can step out of the traffic and be alone with God and experience solitude, where you can experience victory and fulfillment and transformation. And take your calendar. And, and for the next week, I want to challenge you, be under-committed. Not uncommitted. Let's make it very, very clear, but under-committed. Let me see here. Now, what is this? Salad dressing. Oh, man. I sure wish I had a big old giant loaf of Italian gluten-free bread. Hoo-hoo-hoo, boy. What would I do with that right now? Now, what was that stuff on the top? What was this down here? Can you tell no difference between them right now, can you? Hey, y'all have a pitcher of water back there? This is the jar, and that's dirt. Can you just fill my jar up? Thank you. Give her applause for helping me out there. (laughs) 
I almost dropped that. I really did. You ever get your life shaken up? Yeah. Does your life ever feel like muddy water? Do you ever lack the ability to see things are just not clear as you'd like them to be? But I'm going to tell you something. If you let that thing sit and be still for a while, it'll become clear. Do you know what I'm talking about? That salad dressing, what's that freight? And the top will become clear again. But if you refuse to be still for a while and you just carry it through life with you and you go through all the bumps and humps and turns and, you know, and all those stuff you're going through, and oh, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. It just ain't clear. Is there even a God in heaven? And it's just always muddied up. And we need to be still. And know that he is God. Step out in traffic for a while. Look lovingly and long at almighty God who transforms things. And you will discover if you will become still and know that he is God, things will become clear. It's so important. Who likes to, to be driving down the road at 90 miles an hour and you can't see where you're going? making all kinds of decisions and you can't see nothing. Life is just muddy. And we need, to, we need to be still. Step out of the traffic for a while and spend time with God who transforms things and changes things and clarifies things and brings fulfillment. And he'll do that for you and for me. Listen to what it says here in Psalms 131, verse 2. It says, but I have stilled and quieted myself. Who did it? Who did the stilling and the quieting? He did it. What about you? If you're just waiting for a supernatural event, for God to come down and say, you know what? One day when things change and when this happens and this happens and this happens, uh, then, then I'll have time. Ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. I'm 62 years old, and the things that I thought would calm down and give me more time, they happened, but it didn't happen. Do you know what I'm talking about? We still run. I wish my day was longer. You've got to make time for solitude because it will benefit your life, and I don't care how far you are behind and stuff that you're doing right now, if I just don't have time to be with God alone. It's like saying, well, I'm just too busy to have time with God. If you're too busy for God, you're too busy. Because you're going to make a lot of mistakes in that time that you wouldn't have made if you'd have slowed down and got with God and things would have become clear. I'm just telling you what it is. Listen to what it says. But I have stilled and quieted myself. I did it. I made time 
but I have still inquired myself just as a small child is quiet with his mother. Yes, like a small child is my soul within me. Psalm 62, verse 1 says, I was, I wait quietly before God, for my salvation comes from him. Hmm. Do you know who the real star in the flying trapeze is? You know who does all that work? You know the guy who gets up on there and he goes and he swings and he turns some somersaults and he flies. You know how hard that guy's working? Nah, he ain't really working that hard. Really isn't. He's got to swing and then turn loose and go, Wee! I'm going to tell you the guy who's really working. It's the guy who's called the catcher. He's upside down, got his legs wrapped around that swing there, and he has got the timing just perfect, just perfect, and he swings out there. And the other person just smiling going, Wee! But he's, his timing is there, and he's been working out for weeks and weeks and months and years. He's working out. He's got these powerful arms, and he grabs a hold of that person who's flying. I'm going to tell you something. God has not dropped anybody yet. And he never will. Now, if you go out there and you're going flying, and you're going, wee, and you're surrendered, and then you go, nope. Splat. Whoop. It ain't that he missed you. You stopped surrendering. You chose to do it your way. And I'm telling you, God will never drop you. And off, though it's really muddy, and you go, I don't know, it's like, be still and know that he is God. And he will do everything he said, and he will do everything he's promised. And you will find the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of transformation and the victory and the fulfillment that's found in solitude. Make time for God. Well, our time is up here right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for these men and women in this room. And I thank you for those that are watching online and those who are in the balcony and those who are in our overflow cafe. And I thank you, Father, for what you're doing. And I thank you for revealing to us wisdom and a truth that will transform us and change us and bring victory into our lives. Oh, may... May we have the ears to hear what you're saying to us. And may we have the determination to make time to step out of the traffic, to look lovingly and long at you until you bring clarity in our lives. Father, bless us and cause us to become keenly aware that you are there that we are not all alone. Thank you, Father, for giving us the manufacturer's handbook, for giving us your word and teaching us your way. As our heads are bowed, I would ask you if you would join me in a simple prayer to reaffirm your faith in Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't really know him, you've never declared your faith in him, would you join us as we pray? simple prayer and invite Christ to come into your life as we pray together best decision I ever made would you join us as we pray right now together dear heavenly father I believe that you love me I believe you've got great plans for my life 
I believe the best is yet to come. I believe that Jesus, he gave his life. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe he's knocking at the door of my heart. And open wide that door. And I receive Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord, and as my King. Have your way in me, Lord. And help me make time for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you just now prayed of me, maybe for the first time, would you stop at the connections desk on the way out and say, Pastor Ron told me to pick up that little gift bag. It's got a Bible and some other little things in there. Take advantage of that. And if you're here for the first time, let them know this is your first time. we got a gift for you. Just a way of saying, hey, thank you for coming. We hope you come back. And there'll be some people around the altar here in just a, a minute or two to pray for you if you need. How many people here are in a life group? I'm in a life group. And I cannot encourage you enough to do life with other people. Now, Mike, Mike, are you here? Here's Mike. You see the glow? You don't mind me picking on you a little bit, do you? You forgive me? Thank you. It is a glow coming from him, though. But Mike is over life groups. And, and I'm in a life group. On Saturday night after our service, I'm in a life group. We have dinner or we have refreshments together. Then I'll have 10 questions from the sermon that I just got through teaching. And then I'll send them to everybody's phone or print them on a piece of paper. We'll sit around our table. And anybody can ask any questions like, how do we apply this? How do we apply this to our life? And the folks who are part of my life group, we do life together. We really genuinely do. And it's awesome and it's fun. And let me give you a little disclaimer here. If you try out a life group, and it's not the right chemistry, that's okay. You know, you just say something to Mike, and we'll get you another life group. You may host one in your own home, or you may lead one or try out another one. If you was part of my life group, you might, I don't like Pastor Ron. He's talking about hunting and fishing and mountain lions and stuff like that. I want to go to somebody who's talking about other stuff. But so you have opportunity to try another one until we find the right chemistry for you. But Mike's the guy to talk to if you want to get involved in a life group. And I'm telling you, people in my life group, we're friends for life. We actually do life together. We really do. Don't forget to fill out your uh, connections card. It says, I commit myself this week to become under-committed. That's cool. Drop it in the tithe box. The offering over there. Is there anything I'm forgetting? God bless you. Yep. We'll welcome you up here. If you need prayer, there'll be folks around the altar to pray with you. God bless you. You are dismissed.
statement declared in this place 